This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of The Book Report. I'm Adam. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to <laughs> immediately stop and uh, bring the, the audience in uh, to a little peek behind the curtain. This is the very first time ever on this podcast that Caitlin and I not only are in the same room, but are looking at each other. Yeah. We're facing each other. <laughs> Making eye contact, and it is so hard not to laugh the, every, every time. This is something we we should have gotten used to years or years ago, yeah, when we first started the podcast, but we've been isolated. Anyways, that's why I started laughing, so let's roll with it as I introduce our dungeon... Oh, shit, as our master teacher. No, I always want to be your dungeon, dungeon teacher. Dungeon teacher just sounds cooler. You know what? For, Are you sure you the, don't want to be a dungeon teacher? For the book reports, I will be the dungeon teacher. Yes. And then when we bring Kimmy and Aaron into this, then I'll be a master teacher. Okay. I'll be more kindly, but here. Exactly. Whoosh, and then when you're I'll back, be the dungeon teacher. And when you're back in the classroom and a kid acts up, then you switch on the dungeon teacher again and teach him a lesson. <laughs> it's so but, hard not to say dungeon teacher. It's just going to keep happening just, when I just do this. Just lean into it. You know what? If that's where your natural inclination goes, I I'd will look at you and that. I just think dungeon teacher. Listener, <laughs> just take that as you will. You cannot see me right now. You have no idea what Adam means by saying when I look at you, I think dungeon teacher. <laughs> I think decrepit and uh, anyways. <laughs> you think lacking sleep because of a newborn in the household exactly. with a toddler. That's what you think. (laughs) They're not crying yet, so let's forge ahead. Mm -hmm. Anyways, we're here not to talk about our marriage or our children. We're here to talk about something much more important. (laughs) A higher higher (laughs) calling, as it were. We're here to talk about the book Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe. Not Willem Defoe. Not William Defoe. I know, sadly. And... Once again, this is. Do you just want to make this talk about? Would you rather talk about (laughs) William? No, just a fun sidebar. You know, a little bit, a little bit about me. Uh, If I had to choose a celebrity to be my random friend that would, you know, make uh, appearances at game nights or just popping in to say hey and be the kooky neighbor or just to Willem have Defoe, a random one to call Willem Dafoe that would be that would be my I thought you were about to say celebrity friend. you want them on your celebrity five 
like on your list that you can have sex no, with. He, no, he's not on my he's not on my hall pass five list. Maybe number six, a Yet. close honorable mention. Yet, no. <laughs> who, who would be just just? <laughs> I gotta ask now. It's a tip for chat. <laughs> who, who would be not not on your five list? I I, I want to know who who would be your your literary friend. How about my liter? Oh no, who would be your you know my okay? Is let's let's make that be a question of the future. Our literary five on our hall Ooh. Ooh. Um, who would be my friend? Who I would want? Who would you to want like, as your celebrity friend? Oh, man, now you're putting... This is a space where I'm supposed to ask you the questions. You're not supposed to ask I'm me I'm turning the, the tables now. This is the dungeon teacher. <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? What have I awoken? This is what happens All right, when let you me, get to look me in the face. Let me... Since I don't have a, a clever enough answer for that right now, let me sit on that. And as we're talking, okay. I'll see if something comes to me. And maybe if I remember at the end, I'll give you an answer that's Perfect. hopefully satisfactory to you and to our listening audience. Anyways, Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe. Uh, so obviously you read it in preparation for uh, for our campaign that we did, a very yes, short sir. island campaign. And it was a, it was a pretty short read too. It was it was a Is decently it? short read. Yeah, so it wasn't. <laughs> well, it was a good thing because it, this is a book that was published on the 25th of April, 1719. So in one month from now, that will make this book 303 years old. I think this is the oldest work that we are tackling uh, thus far on our podcast. And Okay, well, that's a good segue. Is uh, So jumping in, is it is the language of the book immediately like different and uh-huh. it's like, harder to read? Yeah, it, it reads like something from the 1700s. So it was more of a slough uh, to read in, in a way that the, the content itself was interesting. And, and I'll get into that in a bit. But the language itself uh, is, is a bit more on the flowy side. Not like the 1800s romantics that I've talked about where they just almost like to hear themselves talk. Mm-hmm. But just how they phrase things in the 1700s. They're coming out of Middle English um, into a more current version of English that we would find more recognizable. But some of the spellings are different. Some of the pronunciations are, are different. Some of even just the grammatical conventions are going to be different Mm. and so I had even for me an English teacher there were a few times where I had to stop and reread sentences because I'm like is this what they're meaning yeah it's just it's probably harder to flow Mm -hmm. like I know so much when you're reading and just when anyone's reading what makes it feel good and you feel like you kind of fall into the world and are absorbed it's like when you get into that flow and groove of reading Mm -hmm. and I'm sure reading something like this like you said even for someone as learned and educated as you uh, that it's (laughs) it's probably just more like speed bumps of just like wait I gotta stop and reread that or what am I understanding what they're saying Mm -hmm. yeah and that can be off-putting which which sucks because in in many terms what is in the story it's an adventure story and there are some really cool parts to it that you don't want to have things like an antiquated language get in the way of enjoying what Defoe is writing right do you do you find that when people talk about this book now, does it feel kind of more impenetrable because of the language? Depends. Depends on the style of reader. It, we, we talk about how everybody everybody loves stories. We, we all crave it. This is why cinema and movies and playing video games, even listening to lyrics of songs, appeal to us. And, and it hits no two people the same way. We all crave stories. We just So every person is a reader. They just haven't 
found if they claim they don't like to read it's just because they haven't found the right story for themselves they haven't found the right mixture of language and content and Mm -hmm. so for some people yeah that that language is a big enough roadblock where it just turns them off to it and they can't even settle into the story yeah and i get that so it's still worth checking out it is a great one and i'll once again, when we get to the segment of why should I read, I have I have reasons. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, <laughs> maybe before we get there, and we're, we're already kind of talking about it, but just like on your general thoughts on the book, like, do you enjoy this book? Was it a fun read? Do you enjoy this story and Defoe's writing? I, I enjoyed the content of it. I don't know if I would read it more than once. So this was my first time reading it. Oh, was it, it really? This was. It, I, it was one of those stories where I had heard of it many times and I kind of had this idea. And to give you guys a synopsis, it's... So the title character, uh, Robinson Crusoe, he runs away from home when he's 18 years old because his parents want him to pursue a life of middle class, uh, safe choices, pursuing finance and taking up family business. And he wanted a life of adventure instead. And in fact, two of his older brothers had done so. And so his parents were trying to lock him down, saying, no, not again. And so he runs away from home. And it's just a series of misadventures and misfortunes. I mean, there's pirates, there's shipwrecks, there's he's sold into slavery. And then two years into being a slave, he finally uh, plans an escape uh, he explores worldwide. You go through tons of different countries on different types of sailing of vessels. So sometimes it's a merchant ship. He always he's also a privateer at one point. And then finally he is shipwrecked and he survives on an island. And this is the uh, bulk of it. But he is survives on this island by himself for 28 years. Oh, um, wow. 20, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane because you get these time jumps and you're like, wow, this entry is 15 years later? Good God. And then he, he has some flashbacks of how he got there. But there are a lot of cool survival tutorials mm. <laughs> built into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically going through how he made it those 28 years. And I shouldn't say he was completely alone because there are some natives to the islands that he has some close encounters with at the beginning and then he even befriends some of them and learns how to survive from them as well but there's some great ingenuity in there that is is cool to it, it the way that Defoe describes him building shelters or coming up with traps is so vivid that I could I could see it in my mind and I'm I'm not anywhere near anybody who would go into the wilderness right. and survive a single night on my own right <laughs> Uh, when you say that, it's interesting. Uh, it just makes me think of when we talked about Melville's Moby mm-hmm. Dick and yeah. how instructional it was. You almost feel like you could be a whaler or a fisherman on a vessel because there's so many chapters that, that get into like the monotony or like mm-hmm. the just like the intricate details yeah, the on how to do certain the minutia. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Is that was there anything like that in this, or is it, is it more fun and, and it flows, or does it stop down and, and walk you through like how to survive on an island? No, it doesn't. It, so you have Melville who partly wanted to write Moby Dick as a tutorial, as a hey, this is what it's like to work on a whaling ship. You know, this is what it's like mm-hmm. to be a sailor. Whereas Defoe wrote this account more so utilizing the the main character's time on the island and surviving 
as a conduit to talk about just the inner depths of man. Mm, okay. So he was more interested in the psychological part of it, but there was enough personal interest in survival and he was gleaning some true stories of survival as well from that time that he describes it just enough to be realistic but he doesn't take you through the all right so i'm setting a trap for a rabbit gotcha okay here's how to do it he doesn't Step one. there's gotcha. there's a few where he goes through it but that yeah it's not as dry as melville's like let me tell you about 80 different types of mm-hmm. knots to exactly make. every trap and here's how exactly yeah, exactly mm-hmm. Okay, so, so again, your overall thoughts on the book. Did you enjoy reading it? Like, do you enjoy this book, or is it kind of whatever? Uh, it wasn't my. It wasn't my personal cup of tea. Because what you're describing to me, I mean, spoiler alert for the audience: I haven't read this book. Um, heard of it? Know it's a classic, mm-hmm. but the way you're describing it sounds like a really fun adventure tale. But it, it so is. Where, it wasn't my cup of tea in that. It drags a few points, which it's not a long work how long necessarily. Is it? I, I don't know how many pages. I, I, I read all mine on uh, oh, digital. gutenberg.org. Gotcha. And so it is digital. It's easier to get that way just because I can take as long as, uh, and it's easier to transpose. I know what you mean though. When it's digital, it's hard to get like when you're not, when you're holding the book and you exactly. can see how thick it is. Yeah. That makes but sense. I could tell just how long I'm scrolling and how uh-huh, many chapters uh-huh. there are that it was. It was no Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, so it, it went fast during my reading of it. It's just there were a lot of chapters where I didn't find myself wanting to sink into it uh, like a cozy pair of slippers. Right. But it was also in my researching some background about Defoe in this story that I became even more interested in it. And then there were some passages huh. I went back to. Okay. Well, hey, that's a great segue then. Cause I, I, next I wanted to go into the history of Defoe and writing this book. Mm-hmm. So could you go ahead and just tell me a little bit about the writer Defoe, um, his history, his place in history in literature and how he came about to uh, write this story. Sure. Yeah. I actually, the first time I ever read Defoe uh, was a journal of the plague year. Oh. <laughs> um, so the, it was a completely different work. Also was more on the historical account, like historical fiction side of things. I tend to really enjoy historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Defoe tends to write in that where he he takes a journalistic background and then he combines it with this interest in history and he chooses an interesting either era or event and then he puts his own spin on it. But he also comes at it from uh, a very spiritual point of view. Uh, he there There is a clear puritanical slant to his writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he usually makes his main characters take pretty strong moral stances uh, on right and wrong, but also on just a belief in a higher power. And so you you see that it, it really appealed to the 1700s because you have this, we're just before the age of reason, we're just before this, this scientific reasoning and more of humanism coming in um, and a greater reliance on explaining science, explaining politics explaining everything we have around us in life through the lens of a judeo-christian understanding of life and so his his writing gleans that his writing really lended itself to this hey i have this 
personal belief uh, in as a Christian, and then I'm going to write these non-Christian works, um, but with that slant, under, you know, understandably that I am a Christian author, and then I'm going to uh, appeal, like apply that to historical fiction. So that is a bit more about Defoe himself. But what I found was also interesting is that a possible true story that he would have been very familiar with that he could base his character of Robinson Crusoe on um, didn't happen too long before this story was written and and is published. So many believe, based off of Defoe's own writing, that he based um, Robinson Crusoe on a Scottish-born sailor um, and a Royal Navy officer named Alexander Selkirk. Um, so Selkirk left his own family searching for adventure in 1703, so not that far mm-hmm. removed yeah. from the story. And he had gotten a job on a privateer vessel. So privateers were just like, basically they were government-issued navy men going about putting justice on the high seas, like okay. out there searching for pirates and okay. uh, making sure that uh, they people were behaving themselves on the high seas on behalf of the crown <laughs> and also probably were abusing a lot of their <laughs> right. a lot of their duties as you um, would expect yeah so one day uh the the ship lost its captain and so one of the men on the ship um lieutenant thomas straddling not an important name though um but anyway selkirk didn't get along with this guy they butted heads a lot uh really got into fights a lot and many times physical so Selkirk sees this guy come into command. He's like, I do not want to sail under him. Um, And he also noticed that the ship had undergone extensive storms at sea. And so he's like, look, the ship is looking like shit. The leadership is shit. I don't trust this guy. We should not go on our next outing. We should not take this vessel out to sea. And so he tried to incite, not a a mutiny, not not like a full on mutiny where they kill the captain and like, you know, or throw him overboard or anything like that but he tried to get everybody else on board to democratically almost like vote be like no we need to take a step back and and make sure it's safe and he he was outvoted and so this dude who hates him left him marooned on an island with no supplies and then they went off to sea and drowned and everybody died oh dang yeah so he actually was right about his his assessment of this and so he had to survive on this small island for years until a random vessel came by and picked him up wow. and saved him. But yeah, so this had been just some sensational news in the 1700s. And Defoe would, as a journalist, would have been very familiar with this. And then enough people loved this idea of like a man pulling himself up, using British ingenuity, right. and uh-huh. surviving against all odds. and then, Love of the yeah. crown. Exactly. <laughs> so there's a lot of evidence to show that, that Robinson Crusoe is based on a true story. Wow, that's interesting. I, yeah, I never had heard of that. Um, it makes total sense from a lot of things. From, from previous book reports you've told me where people are kind of taking things and myths yeah. and, and popular mm-hmm. kind of folk tales or kind of real life stories that are inspiring and everyone already knows I mean, it's very similar to how stories are now. You take something that people already kind of know and mm-hmm. either loosely adapt it or blatantly yeah. adapt it because people are already <laughs> kind of want it and, and have enough that they know there that they want to go find exactly. it then. Yeah. Life can be stranger than fiction. And mm. so it's the perfect place to take you know inspiration for stories like this. 
Wow, that's wild. And so where where did this place, when he wrote this, you mentioned reading another work of Defoe's. Was he already established when he wrote Robinson Crusoe? Was he near the beginning of his career, middle or end? Do you know in his where in his bibliography? You know, I don't know. Oh, okay. uh, but if I look at the order of his works, he was a little bit more established. Okay. So he at least would have been recognizable in name. I don't believe this would have been a time where it's like celebrity writers or anything mm, like that. That's but true. More so the story would have been circulated and then the name come after it. So uh, I, I guess okay. even you just mentioning that, I guess I really don't know how it worked back then. I guess I'm so I, I'm so used to authors now where it's like if you know a a John Grisham or a Stephen King, they have a devoted following that just basically whenever they churn something new out, they're gonna go buy it. Did that really exist then? Was there really the celebrity Not, writer? Well, in a way. So there were celebrity philosophers. There there were celebrity I guess you could say thinkers who would create pamphlets or essays, and those would be crazily and widely circulated. Uh, but this actually, Crusoe is considered one of the first fiction novels in the English language. You know, of course, there were other writers at the you know in other languages and other countries, but for the English language, Crusoe's widely considered to be the first fiction novel. And definitely the first novel to have a main character use internal dialogue to this to the extent that you see in here where you're in their mind. I mean, not to the extent that we see like with Catcher in the Rye mm-hmm. and Holden Caulfield where you're d- doing nothing but living in their mind. Right. But this is the first f- piece of fiction where you are following the same character the entire time. And you're getting to understand what their thoughts and motives are, not just standing outside of them, seeing what they do, but you're you're hearing their voice and you're hearing, here's what I was thinking at this moment. Here's where I struggled. Here's where I fucked up. Hmm. And here's where I totally redeemed myself. And here's why. So it was done in such a way, too, that so many people, when they first read this, thought <laughs> that... Robinson Crusoe was a real person. They thought that this was written by Robinson Crusoe because it's made a, a series of journalistic accounts and um, firsthand experience. It's written in first person. So a lot of people didn't understand that this was fiction. They didn't really understand the idea of fiction that wasn't trying to teach a moralistic lesson or that was the Bible or that was, you know, like uh, fables or, or uh, mythology or anything like that. They Wow, I guess... Yeah, they did. They didn't understand it. It feels weird to have like a before when there wasn't fiction writing. It's that sounds so yeah foreign to think about. Exactly, because they had you know there there were pieces of fiction that that have been out since. I mean, we we tell stories that are fake. We we tell right mythologies. We tell fairy tales. That that that's nothing new. But in the English language, this is one of the first times where we're seeing a made up character tell us their story from their perspective and act as if it was all real. And wasn't trying to have some kind of larger reasoning behind it, like you said, like it wasn't. It wasn't trying to teach like about mythology, or wasn't telling these like no. biblical Mm-mm. or no, there were historical themes, of yeah. things like Shakespeare, like, or talking about like historical figures. No. Hmm. Did Did you tell me that Don Quixote was the first like purely narrative story or purely fiction? Or? It's It's considered to be the first piece of fiction. It's considered to uh, the and first piece of that? modern fiction, um, and that was written in Spanish. Let me look that up real quick. 
I think you told me when you were reading it, that was like one of the first books that actually had chapters. 1605. And that was one of the first ones that had like chapters to it. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. you know, there are... 16 what? 1605. Okay, and Robinson Crusoe was mid-1700s? Yeah, Robinson Crusoe was published in 1719. So wow, so about 100 years later. Okay, yeah. 110 years later, 115 wow. years later. That's so crazy to think about a time. It doesn't... Cause that, doesn't seem that long ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, some retrospects or aspects it does, but it's yeah. being like, oh, it's like <laughs> people didn't know how to read a, a fiction book. That's yeah. wild. Uh-huh. I know. So how were they? Well, then how was it received from audiences who maybe didn't know how to read it or what to expect from it? What was it immediately received well and praised? I'm seeing a lot of evidence of that. It's it's hard with things that were this. Old, old it's hard to, to find. get solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's all hearsay it, exactly. or assumptions. I, I'm reading a lot of uh, secondary materials, you know, people writing about that time, but looking for things from that time, I had a hard time finding that. But it, I'm seeing a lot of evidence that, especially since people thought this was a real story, they thought it was nonfiction, like, oh my gosh, this dude Crusoe, he survived for 28 years and then made it back. You got to hear this crazy story. Mm-hmm. So people were talking about it as if it were real. They they didn't. They said that this was Robinson Crusoe written by Robinson Crusoe, not oh. Robinson Crusoe written by Will, uh, Willem. <laughs> Willem Dafoe, yeah, <laughs> your Willem your your buddy by Daniel, Daniel Dafoe, Dafoe, yeah. <laughs> so I I because of that because it's still talked about in such a way, I think it was creating a buzz. I have enough evidence to say that. Okay. Okay. Well then, well. If it's harder to find, because it was so long ago, it's harder to find kind of how it was received then. We know how it's received now. Mm-hmm. It's considered a classic piece of literature. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name is recognizable. The name is recognizable. Mm-hmm. Even if you haven't read it, like me, you've still like heard about it. It's been taught in schools or colleges. Yeah, before and- hearing my synopsis, what did you know about it? Man, Robinson Crusoe. I don't think I knew anything about it. I think I might have lumped it in with Swiss Family Robinson. Where it was an idea of like a marooned family or something on an island. I think that's all I thought it was. But yeah, I really don't. I really, really don't think I knew anything about it. Kind of like a what's that book that a lot of people read back in middle school? It was called Hatchet. Did you ever have to read that? Oh yeah, by Gary Paulson. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why we all had to read that book, but I, I remember reading that middle school. It's a survival book. Yeah, yeah. survival book. And, but and what I remember most from that is at the beginning, you know, he's in the, the, in plane. the plane, the Cessna uh-huh. or something like that, with, with the, and the guy has a heart attack. Oh. It, the pilot has a heart attack and basically dies, or he is dying and then dies on impact. But I always remember it's like the, the boy's like, I, I knew something was wrong because all of a sudden he started farting and like basically oh. like shits himself. It's like this. It is of what poop that is what tells you remember. There's something wrong. I'm like, oh, what? Man, I don't remember that. So of course, yeah. Like young me, it's like something's. <laughs> You're like, I love this book. <laughs> well, what a great start, guys! What a great start. Um, <laughs> so I think I might have like kind of lumped it in, kind of with a book like that, where someone just marooned on an island, but I didn't know anything else around it, which mm-hmm. is so interesting. Well, it, so obviously it's culturally significant. Can you tell me why? Why? What made this book kind of rise above the rest of books mm-hmm. that were around the era that still talked about and read today? Well, something that I consider to be quite interesting for this work. I mean, once again, 
written and published in 1719 is that it's it's one of the first novels as well that has a character that is a person of color. Um, oh, Robinson Crusoe was a person of color? No, no. He, oh, he, okay. He's a very, very white I was going to say, I was assuming very, very white. There is a character in the novel that he befriends and becomes very close to that uh, we only know as Friday because we don't learn his real name and Robinson meets him on a Friday and so he just kind of starts Calls calling him, him okay. that. Um, but it, anyways, this is, this is uh, Friday is one of the first characters of color in fiction that is actually given a voice. Um, and individualism. So he is not just there as a simple caricature and there to kind of just, just serve the needs of the main character and is kind of like a prop, but he very much is, is given a voice of reason even and uh-huh. uh, times when he is the wiser one or he's making better decisions or he pushes against um, our main character and makes him question his own beliefs as well. And it's nice because usually at this time, characters of color are, are made really two-dimensional. Right. Um, and so, especially when it's, it's a white author writing about a non-white culture. And so it's, it's cool to see that in here. Actually had, it was like characters were given like dignity and like humanity and yeah. intelligence. Yeah. And it wasn't just a character or a stereotype. Mm-hmm. And of course I say that because at the same time, this story for 2022 is problematic because readers today understand this is a story that highlights imperialism Mm. um, an imperialistic attitude specifically with undertones that are very anglo-puritan very just white specifically british centric and then puritan world beliefs and and kind of overriding the rest um, was do you think was Defoe pushing that agenda? Do you think, or was like that he was just writing about characters who were that way? I, I don't think he thought too much about it. He was just describing these characters, and some people that saw as in like he's pushing something when he was yeah, just describing. I, I think that he was just writing from a worldview that was the prominent one, and he didn't really give too much thought about it mm. because this is what he knew. Yeah, that's yeah. what he knew, and that's what he probably just was biased for, and so for somebody reading now to a work that's from 1719 would take a very right different look people at it. now that are have more cultural mm-hmm. worldviews yeah the, the famous yeah. Uh, irish writer james joyce even said about this specific uh, work that um, i have a quote from him uh, james joyce said the true symbol of british conquest is robinson crusoe who cast away on a desert island in his pocket, a knife and a pipe becomes an architect, a carpenter, a knife grinder, an astronomer, a baker, a shipwright, a potter, a saddler, a farmer, a tailor, an umbrella maker, and a clergyman. He is the true prototype of the British colonist, as Friday is the symbol of the subject races. And so we we understand here, which is like he, this guy Robinson Crusoe is able to do everything. You know, the true, perfect uh-huh. Britishman. Um, and then you have the native, indigenous character of Friday who a lot of times, most of the time, like 80% of the time, is learning from Robinson, <laughs> Robinson Crusoe. The idea being that like, oh, it's a good thing that we went there yeah. and like he, taught them like our the ways. He's like the Sam to his Frodo. Like, it, the, it, a lot of people get this wrong saying like, oh, he becomes a slave. No. Uh 
Crusoe saves his life, saves Friday's life when they first meet. And so Friday takes it upon himself to kind of just say, I'm indebted to you for the rest of my life. Um, part of that is you learn about his native culture beliefs as well. Um, so a life debt is taken very seriously. And so he, there is that subservient attitude. But as well, just I think it comes from Defoe's bias at the time in the 1700s of, well, of course, Crusoe's British, master race. You know, of course mm. he's going to be able to do all this. And of course, anybody that he encounters is going to benefit from his time with him. So I, I saw that, and it's good to look at the nuances. It's not yeah. just a all or nothing, black or white, black and white thinking of this. That you do see the cool fact of like an early example of a person of color given a voice, but it's still an incomplete voice mm-hmm. in, in today's terms. Right, like you said, I guess the naivete of the time of thinking that like we're doing the right thing. I mean, obviously <laughs> like we're going here and we're teaching them our ways. Thank God we're saving them. <laughs> and now with time and perspective, you're like, okay, just because it's the white way doesn't mean it's yeah. the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay. So I can see how that would be problematic today, but I can also see what you're saying about the significance of the type of genre. It would seem to be broaching. Well, I guess fiction was around, but I guess not, maybe not that long in fiction in English and the way it tried to focus on get inside the mind of the protagonist. Any, is there anything else maybe about Defoe's writing or the language itself that maybe was unique? I think one thing that Defoe does really well in this novel, and that I noted as well in reading Journal of the Plague Year, is that he is a master of the idea of dichotomy. Hmm. So dichotomy in that showing two ideas at once that play off of one another how no character, no place, no idea is one-sided. Um, that especially, I mean, the, the thing we see the most is, you know, light and dark. People people have good and evil in them. Uh, ideas have benefits and defects to them. And so we really see in this story in particular a huge dichotomy between fear and loneliness um, with the spirit of creation and resilience how your main character because we're in his head the entire time you know we're, we're this is very this is written to be autobiographical um by this fake character of robinson crusoe um but we we see in crusoe times of extreme fear and he's very honest about that like fearing for his life but also fearing for his soul fearing for his sanity um we see extreme loneliness and him raging against it and going into depths of despair and talking about how he just feels like there's no point in living anymore and that even God has abandoned him and what's the point of believing in anything anymore. But then you also see the heights of of resilience of the human mind and resilience of the human spirits and how pushing through, especially when you get to communal atmospheres of uh, especially the the relationship between uh, Robinson Crusoe and Friday, but also just every one of his different misadventures with different people on different ships or in different cities, uh, that he comes back to this human spirit of connection again and again. And of course, when I said creation earlier, it's so cool when, you know, 
at and one night he has everything swept away by a horrible storm and you feel like he's barely clinging to his sanity and then he's able to have like a spark of an idea and then cling to that and then basically come up with a new way of looking at his situation and, and finding new innovations of how to stay alive yet another day. So I, I, I appreciated that, how it's not just a single tone, but I think uh, Defoe does a great job of showing multifaceted mm-hmm. um, ideas and themes of especially the human spirit and the need to reach out to something larger than ourselves, be it community or a, a spirituality. It sounds like from what you're saying that he's exploring these topics just from like multifaceted ways and different aspects. That's, I guess that's more true to life. Maybe that's not just very one-sided and very mm-hmm. surface level, but seems to like really dive in to the humanity of certain things. The, the both sides of the coin the, mm-hmm. and pushing into the gray, maybe not just the black and white of yeah. it. I'm seeing that in a lot of the of the stories that we're choosing for our show, and mm. I think that's something that that you're draws seeing, me to a lot what? of these classics over and over again. Is that they they sit in the gray, mm, mm-hmm. they sit in the nuance that is humanity, yeah. and it's it's cool to see that because not all classic, not all stories do this well, but I think the ones that we have chosen for Oh Mam Mam so far have, including Crusoe, where. It's not as a well-known classic. It's not as a widely read classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you do, if you do delve into it, it's, it's almost like Defoe wanted to explore this idea of how do I find meaning in my life when I feel alone and that I'm not serving a purpose, um, and he uses the Basically, he uses the construct of being on an island and feeling and using that island almost symbolically of feeling alone and realizing, wait, you're not alone Mm. um, to then tackle these psychological and spiritual ideas of loneliness and depression and the depths of despair. I mean, it makes sense why we're why a lot of of these books we've been choosing um, have that in have that in common it's because i guess that's a partly reason why these are books that have stood the the test of time and are classics because i mean isn't that these are all like aspects of what makes good art Mm -hmm. it's very human and makes you look outward and inward and makes you question things and who you are and your place and humanity and the world the ones that are very pulpy and surface level and maybe very Mm -hmm. one note it's those are fun to chew on, but, uh, or man, I can chew on. Those are fun to just like eat and then digest and then you're done and you move on. But so many of these other ones specifically, or especially maybe some of the romantic kind of stories we've talked about, it just explores humanity in a different way. It mm-hmm. makes you question yourself and it makes them so timeless. These questions that you're, that Robinson Crusoe was asking himself on this island just seem like universal questions that, are mm-hmm. timeless and we still ask today. So that makes a lot of sense about why it would be so significant still. Yeah. I, I, I think that it's, it's well worth looking at. It's well worth keeping that in mind for a lot of the stories that we're going to be highlighting on this mm-hmm. show. So 
I mean, you kind of just said it, but would you recommend people read this? I know it's hard not to say like, don't read a book, but like <laughs> of all the books we're reading, like maybe even compare it to the, like, uh, the six, seven books we've done so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the sixth book that we've this done. Is the sixth book. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you even put it near the middle, the top, or is you like, eh, maybe like the, the, your least favorite so far. It's a classic, but not my favorite. It's, it's, Either five or six. I have to look. So it's it's not my favorite that we've read so far. I enjoyed myself while I read it, but God, we have read such some, we've got some, some good awesome ones. ones so far. Sure. So the, I I'll say this. Um, there there are some elements here, kind of like a, a little elevator pitch, or yeah. you know, uh, when when you're trying to describe something, utilizing other shows or other. Uh, modals that that people would recognize so it's kind of like this perfect mix of if you like mockumentaries okay not, love them okay you know this is spinal tap oh yeah waiting the for office guffman. waiting for guffman right um because it, it is a mockumentary you know it, it's a fake autobiography mm-hmm. if you combine that with something that you and i started watching during the pandemic time alone you know, survival shows where it's just you. I thought you were going to say our flag means death. No. <laughs> with, the, with the pirates. No. I was like, oh, our flag means oh, death. Oh, gosh, that would be so amazing. Alone, yeah, for sure. But so survival shows like alone where it's just you watching that person and no stepping in, no one trying to, you know, provide them with surprise. Right. Not survivalist roughing it, but then they have seven camera crew right next right. to them. They yeah. have limited materials and you see them rise to the heights of achievements and creation to the depths of, oh, Despair. I have yeah. screwed up so badly. Oh, yeah. I cannot do this. Um, you see moments like that in here, too, that actually it, it felt like it, I was reading an episode of Alone. Mm. Um, there, There's some awesome scenes where he takes all day to set a trap and it screws up and does not catch. And he goes days without eating to almost dying because of just choosing the wrong spot to, to set his mm, snare. Mm-hmm. Uh, another time choosing yeah, one the wrong mistake part of the island re- to and, build and a then, lean-to. Yeah. Yeah. One mistake yeah. leads to a day you haven't eaten, which exactly. leads to less energy, which leads... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that cascade of, of events that are all leading towards survivalism is pretty cool. So if you are interested in that kind of combo, if that sounds interesting to you, then I would say try this out. Yeah. Try try it out. I mean, the, it is a constant adventure. And I said it, it's not the majority of this story are the 28 years that he spends surviving on this island. But there is a whole series of just like really fast paced <laughs> crazy things that happened to him before that as well that that make it move along kind of like it's almost like he's doing it on purpose like let me have all this entertainment thrown at you at the beginning to have you buy into it before i get to the slow days of surviving on the island Mm. so so it sounds like if you're if you like those kind of books check this out if you like the survivalist kind of books or but if you like survivalist books where pilots have heart attacks and shit their pants (laughs) Then they should read Hatchet instead. Then, yeah, Gary Paulson's Hatchet <laughs> is for you. <laughs> I could just see, like, going to a bookstore. You know, certain places have, like, the little tags oh, from the people who yeah, work there yeah. with their own recommendations. Oh, I really appreciate and you're those. Like, and you're just like, man, the pilot shits his pants. On Chapter page 10, one, there's poop. Must read. <laughs> Five stars. Five stars. 
All right. Well, thank you, Caitlin. Uh, yes, please go check this book out um, if you haven't already. And sound, if, if anything that we've talked about sounds interesting to you, please go check it out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Yusuf Dahl, and when I was 18, I was convicted of selling drugs. For the past three years, I've had difficulty finding housing because it is legal in the United States to discriminate against individuals that have a past drug distribution conviction on their record for life. It doesn't matter if it was a hard drug like heroin or a drug that's now legal or partially legal in many states across the country like marijuana. The Thurman Amendment was introduced to the Fair Housing Act in 1988 by segregationist Strom Thurman, and it's since been used to deny housing to all people. But because people of color are disproportionately jailed for drug charges, we are affected more. My goal is to overturn this amendment to start an end to housing discrimination that unfairly targets people of color. If you would like to join this movement, please visit ThurmanAmendment.org to learn more. A message from the Fable and Folly Network. Uh, what I want to do now is transition. And I'm really fascinated to pick your brain on this because mm-hmm. so many of the books we've done have been, uh, ep- for the most of them, I mean, maybe at the island uh, kind of in between the, at the island level up sessions. Besides that, Frankenstein, Moby Dick, uh, Ken of Monte Cristo and Oliver Twist, those have been pretty chunky. And we've done a lot of episodes in there <laughs> yeah. and you cover a lot of ground. With Robinson Crusoe, I feel like this was barely the book. And so when we, uh, I'm just curious about what I'm getting to is like the oh ma'am, ma'am references that mm-hmm. you pulled Robinson Crusoe and tried to put in here. Mm-hmm. What were you able to use? Because this seems like a hard one probably to do or a hard one to even like try and pretend that you were doing what the book was. Well, something that we're doing with the island episodes kind of right now is if if you noticed, you know, it's we we had the first um, island episode was Robin Hood and this one was Robinson Crusoe. So I have a little bit of a. A little guess of what the third one might be. <laughs> uh, so I have that for now. And, and understanding that our island episodes are interim ones where you guys are meant to have fun with it a little more, mm-hmm. gear up, level up. Take a break. Yeah, character up, you know, maybe find out a little bit more about your backgrounds that way. And it's not so much about the story I'm featuring. So, but we all, I know that from talking to you, since we're both the producers of this show, we mm-hmm. talked about like, do we just call this island? And it just seemed like we loved the naming convention and always having them be yeah. books. So it felt weird being like, well, let's just call it island. You know, yeah. take, we it didn't want to. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's a story that takes place on an island. So that does also fit well with the overall arcing theme yeah. of being on the island. Uh, so I was able to find things to throw in there. You know, we we could have, in an alternate universe, done it where it's like you three had to survive with nothing and make your way off of something desolate and and turn it into that sort of adventure. 
Uh, but maybe I'll do that with a different work. Yeah, we'll see. Absolutely. But for this, I kind of wanted just something to use as a vehicle for you leveling up and, and right. exploring your characters further. Uh, the very first obvious reference to the story is is using the name Benamucky. You know, the we I, I chose to I thought you were gonna say Robinson Crusoe. Oh well well yes, duh. The the Robin's son. Robin's son Crusoe. Crusoe. Excuse yeah. me, excuse me. So yes, of course which, the character the way, Crusoe. Which by the way, I am very fascinated in this romance that is happening that is blossoming between Penelope and Crusoe. Yeah. I did not expect Penelope to be that kind of character. And seeing her put on that kind of persona has been super fun. A different facet that Kimmy's giving that character, which is really fun to uh, watch as we're playing. It's been fun to to yeah, you're, interact with you're her. The other you know, part I'm, of the I'm having to yeah. I'm having to play Crusoe too. I'm like, oh, has he dated before? Like, I've got to decide this right now. What's your character's backstory with that? Yeah. Uh, also, uh, it's interesting flirting with your friend Kimmy yep. for the first time ever. Well, and for me, I mean, I've only, I've only been playing D and D for about four or so years. I've been playing as long, certainly as long as probably many of our listeners have uh it's really hard to do romances i've seen because usually people are sort of like kind of doing their own thing and mm-hmm. it's hard to agree upon doing a thing with someone else outside of you um at least that's my experience maybe people are like oh someone in my campaign is always falling in love but it's been a new, a new uh, facet for me seeing mm-hmm. in this game of just it's not always action and killing and whatever but one of those is just like let's just stop down and go on a date together <laughs> which yeah. I, I loved yeah, so Crusoe has been a fun guy to to try and explore because, uh, yeah, I'm learn a lot. Of, a lot of his character development is partly from the story that you know, partly from the novel, um, but also largely in how you guys interact with him. And he, so he's constantly morphing. I'm morphing him as you talk to him. Well, you know, I'm, just that that yes and improv. Right. It's so funny how sometimes when you're when you're performing. I can only speak for Bertram, I guess, in this sense, but sometimes you immediately just have an inclination or a feeling about a character you come across, whether you love <laughs> Most them or Most of you, it's suspicious. it's suspicious. You guys are suspicious true. of so many of the NPCs I throw at We've you. We've been burned a lot. <laughs> but I, and I know Bertram has, has felt that during different, different characters, but speaking about Crusoe, it's funny how immediately, I mean, immediately when you introduce them, Penelope fell in love with him and Awen hated him. <laughs> and it's so funny seeing that uh, play out too, where Awen fucking hates this character. And I don't, and I'm curious to know why I remember like, he, well, part of it was he like, smacked him at thing at the beginning. He, yeah. The he face. tapped him on the face, which was one of those where, where did that come from? Kate, uh, yeah. that came out of nowhere. That was Crusoe. I was I was merely the vessel. Well, in that then A1, I'm sure Awen probably saw him as like this nuisance. Like it's probably like snot. Maybe he thought it was like a snot nosed privileged kid. And so we're like, we're here, we're busting your butt out, and you're telling us you need to wait. We need to wait a bit. He was like, he did that Mean Girl reference about like, yeah. get in the car, we're going shopping <laughs> or whatever. Um, and yeah. he said it's not a snot nose kid. Like he he's it, what is how did I say like he's in his twenties or something yeah. like that. But he looks like Tormund Giants Bane, right? <laughs> from from a Game of Thrones. I wonder if like maybe A one was tr- maybe assuming uh, that when you're like the leader's kid. Or something like that. Maybe sometimes you're like the privileged one. You can do what you want, and you're kind of right. like maybe a little brat. But 
I don't know why Awen chose to go that route, but it's I really funny. It. How, I love like, it. You can't just enjoy every. I mean, it's yeah, one yeah. of the few characters I feel like Bertram is like apathetic about. Like it's just a character for me. Yeah. But like Penelope and Awen yeah. have very strong reactions. Strong reactions. <laughs> so Crusoe's been a fun addition yeah. uh, to the dynamic. So and, yeah, that is the most obvious, obvious reference. One, but, now, but he's been with us for a while. He's been with us for a while. Yeah. And so now, so for this specific, uh, you know, the past two episodes. Benamaki was a new thing. So in the novel, uh, Benamaki is a mountain god um, that Friday worships. And so you first meet Friday and he's part of this, uh, I guess, tribe. He's part of this culture uh, that And, and then game where they have fictional, the, fictionalized? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, fictionalized. So not actual. Um, and a cannibalistic tribe, actually. Um, and so I thought that was such an interesting name, but also just a name of power mm-hmm. in this and so i, I wanted a, cool name. one of the six with you for sure mm-hmm, it's a yeah. good choice so i wanted one of the four civilizations you know and here the benamaki civilization for the world of omamam um is the largest and most powerful of the original four and so i wanted just hey what, what is the name that holds power here and i wanted it to to reference robinson crusoe mm-hmm. um so that was what i went with um, and there's some great quotes that we have said in these episodes. One spoken by uh, Friar Tuck uh, when he is meeting with a one-on-one with Awen and doing some uh, character development there and talking about this crisis of faith that he's having and this lack of trust in himself and not understanding what he's you know working towards mm-hmm. at all. And so I have Friar Tuck tell him that the fear of danger is 10,000 times more terrifying than danger itself, which I thought was an awesome line from mm-hmm. the novel. Um, this idea of, it, it harkens to even uh, Roosevelt, you know, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So it, it, it's this idea of what you are building up in your mind that you're doubting about yourself, that you fear is really much worse than what you'll actually face. And you need to remember the difference between your imagination and what is real life in mm-hmm. front of you and to have yeah. more faith in what you're able to do. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it was. And then there, there's a lot of really interesting um, tidbits in this book where it, it describes just the scenery and the natural life. And so I you know, wanted to just have an homage to that. So while you guys are meeting with Marion and Robin, I have just a little cutaway scene of outside, you know, I, storms of Bruin and so that that line is oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah I remember that moment um, soon after that the wind arose by little and little so that in less than half an hour it blew a most dreadful hurricane the sea was all on a sudden covered over with foam and froth the shore was covered with the breach of the water the trees were torn up by the roots and a terrible storm it was so that's like the original language and so I kind of tweaked it a bit yeah to fit the scene right um, but yeah, so there there are many, many uh, passages like that where mm-hmm. it all of a sudden is like, and here is where nature says, screw you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, those, those little kind of moments that you kind of did are little kind of brush strokes that help kind of breathe the scenery mm-hmm. alive. And that's one of my favorite parts about this whole podcast. I love getting to use those beautiful words. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have many beautiful words yourself as a DM that you, when you narrate, but these classic authors I love how you incorporate them it's wonderful yeah it is wonderful so those are my top three um right there I thought those but two no I had Benamucky and then the two oh the gotcha two I thought you meant the quotes I remember there was another quote you must not have pulled it but there was one I think I think when when Crusoe was on on the date 
I thought there was a moment, another scenery kind of building moment when they were when her when oh, him and Penny yes, were on yes, a date. There is. You pulled yeah. one. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a nice little moment. But mm-hmm. so, the, but those were your favorites. Um, that's great. Yeah, I know it was. A, I'm sure it was a harder challenge for you, just because again there wasn't it, it wasn't it wasn't much of a narrative on the island of like we have to do a thing or we have mm-hmm. to tell us a story in a sense of like a larger story of like that a book would play out. So I'm sure it was harder to weave those two things together but you made it work you made it work beautifully oh thank you <laughs> so now uh lastly our last section i want to pivot into a short q a time okay and uh again this is for people if you if you're listening and you have questions for us the the cast or if you have questions for kate as a dm uh, or or Kate as is an English teacher as well. Oh, that's I'm true. happy to answer English teacher questions too. That would be awesome. Yeah, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us. You can find us on social media at Omamam Show. You can also reach out to us on email at Omamam Show at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Again, we love hearing from our fans and we every time you guys reach out and we talk to you guys, we so much appreciate your support oh, uh, for the show. Love it, and, love it, love it. And we love hearing your your fan theories, who you think <laughs> Uh, was it WD? Who you think WD is? Yes. Um, but we're, we we love getting to uh, hear from you guys. So please reach out to us and give us questions. I have a couple questions I wanted to ask you, Kate, as a DM. Okay. And so I'm gonna. I have three for you. And let's three. see the magical talk. rhetorical three. Exactly. You gotta have the rule of three. And so uh, number one, this might be kind of what we just talked about a little bit with um, you crafting a story with Robinson Crusoe as a DM. What's the most difficult aspect of fitting your larger narrative into famous pieces of literature? The story doesn't, the literature doesn't always match the aims of the story that you're trying to build with your characters Mm -hmm. and then with your players as well. So it, it just becomes another element to throw into the juggling act of walking the fine line between railroading and allowing you guys to run amok with what you want to do as well while still telling a larger story that there is an end to it there there is mm-hmm. a plan to it there there is something that I have behind the scenes that I want to to lead you to uh, but then I'm adding in this new element of here's also a piece of literature that I want to pay homage to mm-hmm. in a proper way and have the elements of those characters and, and those story beats as well. So it's just another element to bring in. And the best way I have come to try and tackle it is finding lines that I think are meaningful that remind me of one of you three and choosing characters from the stories large and small like there there's a character that I just had you interact with for our next book uh that is on their one page <laughs> and I'm mm. like, this, this guy is interesting you have to meet him uh because I think of how you guys would interact with him so there it's it's because we are we are character driven for oh ma'am ma'am um it's it's I tackle that by finding interesting characters from these stories from these novels from these uh, short stories and whatever we choose to go through plays eventually Mm -hmm. um, that would play well off of you three even if they're very minor so do you ever feel like beholden to the source material or do you ever feel like 
so you never feel like you're doing uh, a disservice to the book or the literature because you're trying or, or do you ever feel a disservice to D&D because you're trying you're you're trying to gracefully try and hold these two things in tension mm-hmm. together of trying to squeeze a book into D&D and squeeze D&D into literature I don't ever feel like I'm doing a disservice to Dungeons and Dragons how we play because at the end of the day we are telling a story together using the conventions of 5e with some fun homebrew content that we create together totally. uh, so at the end of the day we're doing that mm-hmm. as for the piece of literature I, I think I've just come to terms with the fact of I'm not going to do any work we choose justice I'm I'm not going to get through all the elements of it uh, it'd be impossible to do that yeah I, I saw that from day from day one with Frankenstein you know, that that story is worlds apart in what happens. Uh, it's, you know, with you guys and your adventure to what it is in the novel. And so instead, I'm like, what are highlights in there that would entice someone to read this? And what are the main themes of mm, this? Yeah, the and tone then, or the yeah, genre get, of yeah, each one. Yeah. I need to get the tone. I need to get the themes um, across. But, you know, we're, it's kind of like we're building fan fiction. So with... A piece like that you're not gonna have every scene you're not gonna have every character you're not gonna have every event every in, element of like what exactly. those books that you might like because mm-hmm. it's hard because like we're not we're not telling those stories we're mm-hmm. telling our own we're telling our own story that's like a an exactly yeah. yeah so it's it's more like hey if you were to come up up against dr frankenstein if if you three were to interact with uh robinson crusoe if you three were to work alongside Robin Hood, you know, from these stories, what would that be like interacting with your characters in, in this setting? And it's like our world first, not the source material. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you've changed from like day one doing Frankenstein to finishing Oliver Twist and Robinson Crusoe? Have you felt yourself let go more Mm -hmm. or do you think you pretty much were letting go? Like, do you looking back, do you think you would have done Frankenstein differently? Do you think you would have not, clung so closely to things or do you no. think you were pretty good about letting go and letting the story you use the elements you wanted to a Frankenstein but not be like chained to it yeah I I don't think I would have done Frankenstein differently with what came out as the end result I think I would have stressed much less and felt more at ease mm-hmm. while it was happening yeah so I wouldn't have been mentally as white knuckled but how it turned out I'm very pleased with what you guys did with it uh and yeah I I still think like with the source material it wasn't just hidebound sticking to it has to happen this way Uh, so there was still enough of modular planning at that point because I had kind of play tested with with you and Aaron um with different source materials Uh before practicing on other pieces of literature before we even started this podcast Can you say real? Can you mention real quick? You mentioned modular planning for people who are maybe don't know what that is mm-hmm. or are curious. Modular planning is kind of how I, I plan, how I lesson plan for the classroom. But it's kind of like you understand what is the big idea of this session. You know what? What are some main goals? You know what is one, two, or three goals that I want you to ultimately reach by the end of the adventure. 
and then allowing you guys the freedom to move about so it's instead of me saying no you have to go into this room to have this encounter it's like no instead I know I want you to have an encounter with this monster meet these two characters and find this treasure and these clues but wherever you choose to go in the dungeon or the mansion or the laboratory or the ship you'll find it. You're going to you're going to find those guys. Yeah, exactly. Or <laughs> and, it's like and, and or it if I feels, notice, yeah, yeah, or if I notice like, man, they really seem to be jiving with this one NPC and they keep going after them. You know what? This piece of information is now going to be given by this NPC. Yeah. This uh this encounter is now going to happen alongside this NPC in this room because they keep coming back here. So it's it's kind of like more of a here's the bullet points of what I want and then giving you guys more freedom to move about and to kind of get into your own skin as characters and then I can still we all we all get what we want at the end yeah. of the day I mean speaking we it's so funny talk, we were talking earlier about like the flow of reading a book it's it's very reminiscent of that about like the flow of a D&D game mm-hmm. and how herky-jerky it would be if you're like no I gotta stop now and stop the flow and bring you back to this room because you didn't go into the corner over there and find the thing I need you right. to find to open the thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you let it flow and you have those elements in your bag mm-hmm. like you talk about. And then you're like, okay, I need them to find this here. Well, they walked over there. Boom. There it is on the ground right in front of them. Yeah. Like it, 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 it makes it flow and it makes <laughs> it feel like, oh man, how did we happen to come across this? Well, duh, the DM gave it to us and just, <laughs> but it, but it, when you're doing it, when it, when it works really well, it flows yeah. really well, mm-hmm. which I think is awesome. That was question only number one, but there were other good questions, I thought, to go off of that tangentially. So now, question number two. Okay. What What's a dream book that you'd love to tackle in the future? I know in the past it was going to be uh, our next book, The Great Gatsby, um, and I know that you love Frankenstein as well, but like now that we've tackled some of these big ones, and you don't have to mention one that you know you're definitely going to do. Maybe in the future, but like in the far future, what's one you're like, man, I definitely got to cover this at some point. That's in that for sure. I could. Yeah. No, I'm, not, I'm not saying like, oh, the book after Great Gatsby or even like maybe maybe not even this campaign. That no, we're I doing. mean, though, but it needs to be a book that is old enough for me to choose from. Yeah. You can't say like this book that came out last year. No, one that's like feasible <laughs> that we can actually could do. Oh, man. Uh I, I would love to do a work by Poe. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just a Poe girl from a Poe family. But I, I absolutely adore gothic literature. And so something by Edgar Allan Poe would be lovely. Do you have lovely. one that, that you'd be like? I mean, Mask of the Red Death would be so much fun with you guys. Uh, but you're already about to go to a party. So I might have to hold off on that. There you go. Mm-hmm. Or The Black Cat would be interesting. Uh so something by Poe would be lovely. Uh, and then I would love to, I'm not quite sure what I would choose, but trying to tackle a piece of poetry would be interesting. Just kind of a abstract, really well, it could weird. Be a, it could be an epic poem, yeah. like Beowulf. It could be. So I don't know, but I, I, I think we have yet to do verse. I think there's a cool way, an abstract way you could do um, the Inferno. Mm-hmm. The Inferno it has been on my radar. Maybe The High Women by Alfred Noyes. That could be. I don't know that one. It's a, a, a I think Scottish mm. poet, but uh, very good when uh, heist gone wrong. So that'd be really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to branching out into different kind of like narratives. And again, 
listeners out there, give us recommendations. And certainly if you have, if you know books that are public domain, that are by people of mm-hmm. color, um, w- women, we're trying to push those and do those. Honestly, it's really hard to find. Because, and there's yeah. a reason. <laughs> yeah. And there's so a very sad reason why that, that is. if you that you absolutely love, uh, please suggest it to us. Email yeah. us or reach out on social media. We'd love to get your ideas because... I'm still planning. Can I'm I still tell you an idea of what I'm going to pitch to you at n- near the end of this campaign? Just okay. I think it sounds cool. Okay. I think, um, oh shit, I just forgot what it was called. Uh, the Art of War. Oh, okay. Was that Lao Tzu or something like maybe, that? Maybe, but I or think that just sounds kick-ass and that sounds like a culmination to maybe this entire <laughs> this entire campaign. It seems like we're marching to war and it'd be pretty bad. Sun Tzu, yeah. Uh, it'd be pretty badass to have our last one or near the end. Something culminates <laughs> in like called the art of war. It'd be pretty awesome. Uh, but anyways. Uh, so, and then uh, lastly, uh, question number three. What's been your proudest moment as a DM and or as a producer so far in the podcast? Ooh. I think... When when I was playing Marion and I separated you three and did the kind of like... Therapy sessions? Therapy sessions. That's yeah. one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I felt proud, not, not so much of myself, uh, but really of how the situation lended itself to allowing you three to do some character introspection and to see you guys dig even deeper in your role playing it was it was so fun to Mm -hmm. to be there where I actually had a moment where I felt like I was in the audience at the same time listening and reacting while still being there and and getting into Marion's character and questioning you and, and pushing each of you so that was just pure fun and then as a producer afterwards to listen to it and to decide you know, the order in which to put them yeah. and, and how you got, you were going to edit it and how, how the, f- you know, finished product was going to sound that. Yeah. That was really rewarding to see it come together. I know because I, I, I'm the person that's like, I have a sp- to, to quote Wordsworth, a spontaneous overflow of emotion uh-huh. accompanied by beauty to no truth. And so it's like when I get the tears coming, when I like feel choked up listening to this and like all of a sudden tears come and sometimes it's out of like a comedic moment or, or yeah. you know, not like a dramatic tear jerker moment, but I still like kind of choke up a little listening You're to proud it. It's because just, it, it's it that, worked. Fe- that it feeling worked. of pride in it. Yeah. If mm-hmm. I can, uh, that, that kind of reminds me of mine um, as a producer. For me, I think it was when I was editing the last episode of Frankenstein mm-hmm. and I was putting the final touches on it and, and f- trying to find the perfect like music cue at the end of it as Frankenstein's uh, castle or whatever was, was crumbling and, mm-hmm. and we were running to safety and we we're having these character moments about what would our character do, save him or not save him. And we were fleeing and the music just worked so well. And the way it ends with us, like, I don't know. I, I feel like when we when we came into this, we came into this with, like, the highest of hopes that we could put on a good show. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know. We've never made a podcast before. And no. certainly haven't played. We're still somewhat new to D&D. And we had, now we had microphones in our face. And <laughs> we didn't know how it, would, how it would mesh with 
with Aaron coming on and then Kimmy, who had never played before and Mm -hmm. was kind of only kind of getting to know Aaron still. Right. He just didn't know how it would work. And there we were, like, wrapping up Frankenstein. We did it. One done. And not only that, the music cue was working. And then we launched into, like, we were going off into Moby Dick. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I just felt like, man, we're doing it. Like, we're going. And here we go. We did one. I don't know if we're going to stick the landing. But <laughs> I don't man, know if this is going to die tomorrow. I don't know if it's going to die tomorrow. We did one. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll fart our way to the ending and, and whatever. Shit our pants like the pilot did at the end. But I feel like for that one, it ended so strong. and I was really proud of it. And it, like you mentioned, I remember I brought you in to listen to it. And I think both of us were like tearing up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we were just really proud. We we're like, man, we're doing this. Yeah, I was and, sitting on the floor of our bedroom and you were at the yeah. editing station. Yep. I'm just... Weeping like, openly. Yeah, we're like, man, we're doing this. We mm-hmm. actually made a podcast that we're proud of. Yeah. I made it feel really good. And I felt like after that point, I felt like we could tackle like anything. I felt like we were doing it. And it was only going to get better. And I think it has gotten better. I think all of us have just improved immensely. And lean leading to that therapy session one was so cool. Seeing our character, just how all of us were with like abandoning who we are as people and really embracing our characters and mm-hmm. really going into like heady stuff and getting to know to 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 play character first. And that's our alarm to uh feed the baby. Um <laughs> yeah, I'm just I was just really proud of proud of those character moments when things click. Yeah. Makes it makes you feel good. And we were and we really hope that the audience is is enjoying it too. It sounds like you are. Um so Thank you, Kate. Thanks for guiding us through um, all this. Thanks for being our dungeon teacher. Always. I'll be a dungeon teacher. And then as we pivot into our next book, which will be... (gasps) Oh, one of my favorite stories ever. The Great Gatsby. The Great Gatsby. F. Scott Fitzgerald. And that's when you can be our master teacher as we go through that. Oh, this is when I'm actually nervous because I want to do this justice. I have read this book. So many times. I can't wait for that book talk. I, you'll That's have to just tell me to shut up because it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm hoping that we know, can get. It. <laughs> I'm hoping we can get Kimmy and Aaron on that one. That seems like it's oh, gonna be a big one. Yeah, I think that's just like as there, for you out there listening. We're coming on the Great Gatsby now. It only I think uh, since we started playing this 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 campaign or since we've been telling the story, it only recently in the past year I think became available for public domain and we yeah. just thought it'd be perfect to jump on and we know how much this book means to people and how big it is and how many people out there love this book and we're just trying to make this as big and bold and beautiful as we can and so we're just trying to make this be a big push as we do the great gatsby so for you out there listening a couple calls to action to man if you've been listening and you enjoy this show please 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 Share this with your friends, people Mm -hmm. who love literature, people who love Great Gatsby, comedy podcasts, D&D podcasts. Um, They will nine out of 10 times trust their friends uh, over strangers uh, they haven't met before on a a podcast. So please recommend this to them. Uh, Help our little tiny show, our little engine that could kind of get off the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rate and review us. Uh, reach out to us, whatever you can do just to help this show kind of get uh, get off the ground and to get to other people. We know this is a big book and we just want to do such a big push for this book. Yeah, we want to do it justice, but we also just know 
It's going to be a fun time, you guys. I am. Bertram at a fancy party. This is where he's meant, <laughs> been meant to be. He's finally here. Out of the dungeons and dank prisons and he's the street, the slummy streets where Penelope grew up. He's finally at a fancy party. And oh, my gosh. You'll just get to twirl and mingle. Yes. And Flit about. That's going to be great. So uh, if you're out there, again, share with your friends, rate, mm-hmm. review, reach out to us. Again, find us on social media at Show, or you can reach out to us on our email, uh, Show at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And thank you so much out there for listening. We will see you all in Little Elm, West Elm, West Egg. West Egg. We will see you all <laughs> in West Egg in The Great Gatsby. See you later, old sport. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Broadcasting, this is Roger Bergato Fisher, communications, something, moon base, wherever. You guys can sort out the next thing. I need to get the rover checked and loaded. Jung? On it, boss. Excuse me? If communication still makes a difference at this point in the plot, if we can keep this base or this moon together long enough to be a thing. I changed my direction. I worked my way down. I took those scraps... The bits they'd forgotten about are thrown away, and I built my own place. Still inside, but within the shadows. All my thoughts, my hopes, all of my heart is on a makeshift rocket hurtling towards us with the most precious of cargo. We'll definitely deserve a celebration. Not like yours. You and your boy down there? I hope he's got a private room waiting. It'll be enough to be close again. When I have Alex back in my arms, maybe then I can think about resistance. We've kept the corporations at arm's length longer than most. Well, whatever you're building, here or wherever, I'm in. Any way we can help. It feels like we're approaching the closing stage of this journey. The final stop. But either way, it's been one hell of a story. And either way, it ends with Alex. Moonbase Theta out. The final season. Broadcasting on your podcast feeds starting August 14th. For early access, join us at patreon.com slash monkeymanproductions. Moonbase Theta, out.